hey, I need uh, just just at show of hands, how many of you either have had the vaccine or you just aren't really all that concerned with the COVID virus? Just uh, hands up. Okay, fantastic. Good, good, good. Hands down, hands down. I want you, I want you, take a moment, because we're all back together. We're all back together. So good, so good. I want you to take a moment. I'm not going to ask you to touch anyone, don't worry. But I'm going to ask you, unless you really want to, I suppose, but turn around, find someone, go ahead, lock eyes with someone that you did not come in with this morning, okay? Go ahead, find someone. Yeah, now I want you to give them the biggest smile. And if you are wearing a mask and can't smile, then just, just kind of take your fingers and draw a mask, uh, a smile on your mask. Go ahead and just wave at someone. Say, hi, I'm so glad you're here. That's good, that's good. Are you thoroughly uncomfortable now? Great, grab a seat, very good. And for those of you at home, I know because of what I just now did, you're glad that you're at home and you will never come back. But hey, listen, it is good to be back with family and see so many faces, even if it is from the eyes up. We just are glad to be a part of the body of Christ together. And today, today, we're starting a brand new series of teachings that I think are going to help set a trajectory for our church for the next number of months. Now, you remember when we began this year, we began in the book of Joshua looking at taking the land that God has new spaces and new places for you to have influence and blessing over. That God's goal is that we would continue to be a beneficial presence in our homes, in our schools, in our businesses, in our workplace, in our city, and, and even here in the church. And so we talked about that. Then we talked a little bit about what is going on in the church and in the nation so we're at least aware of where we are. So if we're going to be taking new land, we need to know where we're beginning from. But today, I want to talk to you a little bit about what it looks like for us as the people of God. Or maybe if you're here, you're sort of kicking the tires of faith. I want to tell you what it should look like, what you should expect from us as the people of God. Because I believe this is a huge, huge, huge area for us as people. Now, I want to begin with a story that I heard a couple weeks ago. It's kind of a, kind of a goofy story. But it's one of those that I heard it and I said, oh yeah, that'll preach. How many of you know, you'll hear something you go... That's a preacher story right there. How many of you have heard a few preacher stories? Well, here's another one for you this morning. Heard a story of an older gentleman who was out fishing alongside a pond one day. Beautiful weather, much like today. The sun was out, the birds were singing, the fish were biting. And as he's having a great time, he looks across the pond and he sees just this little kid, little kid with this great big rod and just going for it. And he said he was just enamored by watching this child fish. But then he saw something that was kind of odd, kind of strange. See, every time the child would bring in a fish, the child, before choosing to keep it, would measure the fish. He'd kind of eyeball it, hold up his hand and measure against it. And then depending on the size, either keep it or throw it out. And now that's not the weird thing. The weird thing isn't that he measured the fish. The weird thing and the thing that kind of got the old man going was that this kid would only keep the small fish. All the ones that are about 10 inches or smaller, he'd keep. But anything bigger than that, he was throwing back. And this happened time after time, and the older guy just couldn't handle it anymore. He's like, this is just weird. Does this poor kid not know what he's supposed to be doing with fishing? So he works his way around the pond to the other side, comes alongside this little kid who's just going to town, and he says, excuse me. He says, "Uh, um, 
I can't help but notice you're keeping the small fish and throwing all the big fish back. I've never seen anyone do that before. Why are you keeping the small fish throwing back the big fish? And this little kid, just just a little kid, looks up. And have you ever seen a kid who has such confidence in themselves? They just kind of, they know what they believe, period. You ever seen a kid like that? This little kid looks up at him in all seriousness, and he says, Well, mister, I keep the small fish because I only have a 10-inch fry pan. Now, I heard that story, and I thought, my goodness. I wonder if that's what's happening with a bunch of us, that we're keeping the small things of God, but when God gives us something that's bigger than the fry pan of our expectations, we throw it back. Oh, no, God, I, I don't think that fits within what I believe you can do, so I'm going to throw it back. Oh, oh, oh no, God, what I've got, this is, this is all I can expect and receive. In fact, by the way, church, this is one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons that some of you are absolutely bored with your Christian faith. It's because you've got a 10-inch fry pan of expectation. And if you are kicking the tires of faith, maybe you're visiting, this is one of the reasons that you've watched Christians and you sort of scratch your head like, why do they do what they do? Why do they believe what they believe? They look absolutely miserable. How many of us know some Christians who need to inform their faces of the joy that they're supposed to have in their heart. And it's because many of us, I believe, have a too small a fry pan of expectations. Because here's the reality. You may want to jot this down. It's not going to be on screen, but jot this down. We don't expect God's best. And because we don't expect God's best, two things are bound to happen. We either reject God's best or we neglect God's best. If you don't expect God's best, you will either neglect it or you will reject it. Here's what I mean. How many of us, because um, we, we, we don't expect that we can be in physical shape. You say, Josh, round is a shape. Okay, fine, fine. Because we don't expect that we can be in a particular shape, we neglect the gift of our bodies. Don't raise your hand. I'm not picking on anyone here. But how many of us know that the expectation often dictates if we reject or neglect it. And then for some of us, how many of us would be honest enough to say, don't say it out loud, but how many of us would be honest enough to say that we've either said or heard someone say, well, that's, this is just who I am. I, I could never be like that. See, if you expect less of God, then you will reject or neglect the gifts of God. And I want to talk to you this morning and over the next few weeks on this idea of what does it mean to be resurrection people, resurrection people. The resurrection of Jesus Christ did not simply bring Jesus back from the dead, but the promise of Easter Sunday that we talked about last week is that now the same power that brought Jesus back from the dead is inside of you, church. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have said no to yourself, yes to Jesus, I can't, he can, will you, he says yes. If you are a follower of Christ, then the power that brought a dead body back to life is at work in you. Here's what I mean by this. Are some of us suffering from a 10-inch fry pan of faith? Because if you get this wrong, family, 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 if you get this wrong today, 
it will diminish not only your joy in this life, but your purpose in this life. But if you can grab hold of this, if you can get just a glimpse of what God wants to do, what the resurrection power really means for your life, you'll say, oh, it's not, it's not just this much bigger. It will fill the room. It's so big. And it'll change everything about your life. Folks, if you will get this, if I can truly get this, let me tell you what we're going to see over the next few weeks. This will radically transform your marriage. This will radically transform how you parent. This will radically transform the way you speak, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you live every moment of every day of your life. If we can get that you are a resurrected person and the power of God courses through every fiber of your being. So, are you ready to rock and roll this morning? By the way, I'm awake, I'm fired up. This should take no more than four hours, so let's get going. Here's the first thing I want to say. Before you can know what it means to be a resurrected person, I need to give a little clarifying thing. And let's start with this. Simply, you are more than just a soul. Do you understand that, church? You are more than just a soul. Now, you are not less than a soul, but you are more than just a soul. God has given you a soul, but you are more than just a soul. Why am I saying this? Because many of us have a small view of what it means to get saved. How many of us have heard the phrase, get saved? Anyone here hear the phrase, get saved? See, a lot of times when we talk about getting saved, we think of it in very limited terms. We think about it as simply God has saved your soul from hell and it is now awaiting heaven. I got saved. So what are you doing, Josh? Well, I'm just waiting for heaven. Really? Yeah, I got, I got my fire insurance policy right here. I was baptized. The water keeps me from the flames of hell. I'm good now. And so I'm just, I'm just hanging on till heaven. If you are just a soul, then that's the way you live because you are simply waiting for heaven because you have the fire insurance policy. Folks, that is a 10-inch fry pan view of what God wants to do because you are more than a soul. This is good news for someone here. Because you are more than just a soul, you're not simply waiting for heaven or escaping hell. God has given you a purpose and a place for today. In fact, you are here on purpose. You're not here by accident. If you're watching this online right now, you are not here by accident. If you're watching this later, you're not watching this by accident because God has a purpose and a plan for your life just as much as any person sitting in this room. But if you're, more, if you're only a soul, then you're just hanging on till heaven. So what are you? Jesus gives us the five dimensions of who you are and who I am. I want you to write this down because he gives us five dimensions. All five make up who you are. Any one of these things removed and it is not fully who you are. You say, what does this mean, Josh? Let's look. This is Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Now, notice Jesus says, love the Lord your God, and he does say with all your, what's this word? What's this word? Yeah, so love the Lord your God with your soul, absolutely. But notice he doesn't say with your soul, period. End of sentence, end of story, everything. No, no, he says, love the Lord your God with your soul, but also love him with your, what's that word, church? With your heart and with your, and with your And love your neighbor as yourself. These are the five dimensions of who you are. Let me walk you through these. By the way, this is you. Uh, If you're a a lady, perhaps you want a skirt. I don't know, but this is what I got, okay? So this is who you are. You are more than just a soul. Not less than, but you are more than just a soul. You are a mind. You have thoughts. God has given you creativity and the ability to think through things. You are a problem solver. 
You are a creative individual. Some of you have very quirky, we'll call, senses of humor. That's your mind at work, isn't it? By the way, right now, when I'm up here, my greatest challenge when preaching is to not tell you all the things I think are funny in a sermon. Right now, you guys are hilarious. And the things we talk about every Sunday, I get tickled, and I have to try to stay serious on serious things. That's my greatest challenge. It's because God has given me a unique, some would say twisted, mind. Okay? But, but I'm not just a soul. I'm a mind. You're not just a soul. You're a mind. You're also a heart. This is your emotions. You have and you are an emotional being. Even those of you who are not really emotional Some of you say, I'm not emotional. Yeah, but you had an emotion. May have been 10 years ago, but you had it. How many of us would say that that you are not an emotional person? Just generally speaking, not terribly emotional. Things don't sort of phase you. Anyone in here? We've got a couple. How many of you would say, no, no, I tend to be much more emotional. Things bother me more. I can watch Old Yeller for the 10th time, and I'm just... (laughs) They killed him again. I mean, just any of you, you're emotional. Um, how many of you would say, uh, maybe I'm sort of in between. You're just, you're normal. Anyone in here normal? Right? Everyone's like, I'm normal. Your spouse is going, mm-mm. Okay, so you are a mind. You are your thoughts, but God has also made you with emotion. You have emotion. This is part of who you are. You are also a soul. By the way, your soul, at the core of who you are, it is your beliefs, your core values, we might call them. This is what you believe to be true. This is you, right? But he also says, love the Lord your God with all of your strength. Your strength refers to your actions. You are not simply what you think or feel or believe. Your actions make you who you are, don't they? Come on, let's just talk honestly for a moment here. How many of us, we are in certain places in life because of the poor decisions, the poor actions we have had or made? Those affect us, don't they? But then we are also, in the good decisions, the good actions, also are making us different kinds of people as well. So you are also your physicality, what you do. And then finally, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are the way we interact with other people. Your marriage partner, your dating relationship, your friendships, your family structure, all of those things are part of what make you you and how you relate to those people. Are we tracking here this morning? Now, quick question, church. What part of your body does God want to save? See, a lot of us have said Christ died for my soul, for my beliefs, that I will simply believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and because of that simple belief, I'm now fire-insured, waiting on heaven. And he says, no, 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 no. The resurrection power of God changes you from your toes to your nose and everything between And it should. And if we get this, here's the promise. It will. So why is it that so many of us, and I'm just going to put myself in here as well, why is it so many of us don't always live saved? Can we just talk honestly this morning? The Apostle Paul diagnoses the problem in Ephesians chapter 2, but he also gives us a glimmer of what what the power of the resurrection can do. So we need to talk about the problem, and then we'll talk about the promise. But here's what Paul says. He says, here's the issue. Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2, he begins this way. He says, as for you, 
Say these three words with me. You were dead. You were dead. Now, I love this. He's talking to Christians in the city of Ephesus. And he's telling them that you once were dead, but he's going to say God has done a great work in you. But I want you to see the death of your soul affects the death of every other part of your life. He says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Sin is simply to miss the mark of God's perfection. It is a result of misshapen beliefs and values because we think, feel, and do what we value, don't we? If you value your marriage, will you invest in your marriage? Yeah, absolutely. If you value your finances, will you invest in your finances and in your work so that way you're able to save? Absolutely. If you value your health, will you work on your health? Of course. We are what we value. And so he says, you were dead, your sins. We did things that destroyed and robbed us of the joy that God intended us to live. He says, in which you used to live. When you follow the ways of this world, this is the way the world works, isn't it? And we'll talk more about this, but when you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, wait, wait, who's this that he's talking about? Paul is talking about the devil here. You understand that before you or I come into relationship with Jesus, before we say yes to God, we have said yes to the enemy of God. And by the way, he's going to give us this great little punchline that every person is in this category. There's two types of people, church. The Bible's very clear about this. There are those who follow the enemy of God, who live according to their own drives. And there are those who have found life in Jesus, but there is no third category. He says, this is who you once were when you were following the ruler of the kingdom and the heir, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient to God. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time. And notice the result of a dead soul is the death of everything else. He says, at one time we lived among them. Gratifying, notice this, the cravings of our flesh. This refers to your actions. So what you felt, what you wanted physically, you would do. Your actions were corrupted and dead, he says, and it resulted in corrupted desires. Your feelings were dead. Your thoughts, your mind was dead as a result. And notice every one of the pronouns here are plural. We, our, us. In other words, even our relationships were dead. When you and I were dead, we were completely dead. There's not partial death when it comes to your spiritual life. You are either dead or you're alive, aren't you? How many times have you been to a funeral where you've got person in the casket? Everyone's gathered around. They look, they're like... (laughs) He's about 95% dead. We're just waiting on the last five. No. Dead or alive. And Paul is making very clear the problem with you and me is that every part of our lives was completely dead before Christ. But then he says, I've got great news for you. I've got news that if you'll grab onto this, if you will consider it deeply in your soul, it'll change everything. He says, every part of you is dead, so every part needs resurrection. Every part of you that was broken needs to be rebuilt. Every relationship that has been crumbling, God has the power to restore. God's work is not partial. It does not simply save you from hell. He wants to save you for today. Anyone else awake with this? 
This is what it means to be a resurrected person. So he says this, because of his great love for us. Why did God save you, church? He loves you. Hey, maybe we just need to stop the tape right here this morning. Some of you, you need to know that God loves you deeply. While you were still a sinner, dead in your sin, Christ loves you. You say, yeah, but what I've done, he loves you. Before you were born, before you had a chance to sin, once he sent Jesus to die for all the sins. Because he loves you. There is no amount of sinning that can conquer the amount of God's loving. He loves you. And it's because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Mercy is giving what you don't deserve. He made us, what's this word, church? Alive. What part of us? All of us. He made us alive with Christ. In other words, just as Jesus is alive because of the power of God, he is now making you alive just like Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, meaning the bad things we did, it's by grace, God's gift to you, that you have been saved. Here's what I want you to know. When God resurrects you, he resurrects all of you. His goal is not simply to save your soul, but it's to change the way you think feel, act, and relate to other people. His resurrection power is for every part of your life. He goes on to say this, and God raised us up. By the way, past tense, you are, if you're in Christ, you've already been raised and you are now seated positionally with Jesus. What does that mean? It means where Christ is seated as a part of the kingdom of God, the prince of heaven, the Lord of lords, you are, scripture says, a co Heir, you get the same inheritance as Jesus. Can you believe that? Yeah, listen, next time someone says, hey, is your daddy leaving you an inheritance? You say, oh, you have no idea. I've been raised to life. I am seated in the heavenly places. God has given me everything for life and godliness. I get what Jesus got because what Jesus did on the cross is for me too. Sorry, I'm preaching this morning. Let's just keep going, okay? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm, in Christ Jesus. Notice this. In order that, in order that, this is the so what. Why did he do this, church? Yeah, he loves you. Did you know he didn't just save you for you, though? See, see, the resurrection power saves all of you, but it's not just for you. He says so that, or in order that, in the coming ages, meaning in the years to come, he might, notice this, show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's a fancy way of saying God did all of this because He loves you and... So that when people see you, they see what God can do. Do do you get this, family? This is why it is so astounding to me. Wake up. This is why it's so astounding to me that some of us are living simply waiting for heaven, never realizing what we get here. It's like the person. It's like the person who saved all their life to go on a cruise. They're going to go overseas. They're so excited. They save, they save, they save, and they finally get to go on the cruise. And then they find their little stateroom. They get placed in this place the size of like just a little cupboard. Because that's what all cruises are like. You're in a cupboard and they just stack you in one after. And they're in their little cupboard room and they're waiting. And, and, and as the day goes by, they start to get hungry. So, so they pull out some crackers that they brought and they start to eat the crackers. And they're thinking, oh, well, at least I'm on the cruise. 
And the next day, they, they're rationing their crackers, their food, and, and they get down just to the crumbs the day before they disembark. And finally, the day they arrive at the destination, they finish, and they're like, whew, great trip, but I'm so, so hungry. As they step out of their stateroom, a door opens, and they smell what is a fantastic smell. They get fat simply from the smell of the calories. And they say to a friend, they say, what's over there? And they say, well, that's the buffet room. Really? Boy, I wish I could have afforded that. And the person says, what are you talking about? It came with the purchase of the ticket. How many of us are missing the buffet of God's goodness because we think it only gets us from point A to point B? Enjoy the trip. God has good gifts for you today, friend. He is not willing that your mind continue to be corrupted with thoughts of illness or depression. I'm not talking about health, wealth, prosperity. I'm simply saying that God wants to change your stinking thinking. How many of us expect that we should look better in our thought life today than last year? How many of us expect that our hearts, our emotions, we should have soft hearts, easily, easily touched by the needs of others, yet thick skin, not offended by others? How many of us expect that we will grow up emotionally year after year in Christ Jesus? How many of us expect that our actions will become more selfless and more service-oriented? How many of us expect that our relationships ought to improve? This is the gift of God in Christ Jesus because he wants to resurrect every part of you. And he says he did this. Notice this, for we are God's handiwork. He did this because you are beautiful in his sight. By the way, this word, this word. I love this Greek word. You want to know what this Greek word is? Say yes. Okay, good. I'm glad you do. The word handiwork is the Greek word poiema. Everybody say poiema. Poiema. What does that sound like in English? poem. You are the poetry of God. He spoke you into existence line by line. You're thinking the way that you would emote and relate to others, your relational structures, what you get excited about. He designed you. You are beautiful the way God made you, but he's got to resurrect all of you to be useful to him. That's why not only will people see what God can do. You become the proof of God's power. That as you live increasingly a resurrected life, others will say, that's what God can do? Man, sign me up if I knew that it could change the way I think. If I knew that he had the power to change the way I feel. If I knew he had the power to change how I interact with my spouse, I need a resurrection. How many of us here today are honest enough to say that we need a resurrection in some area of our life. I do. How many of us would say, I want a marriage that my kids will talk about in generations to come? I do. How many of us would say, I want to be the kind of person whose thought life is elevated and not always going to the lowest common denominator? I do. How many of us would say that we want an emotional reservoir where we're able to feel what others feel, yet strong enough to deal with life? I do. And this is the promise and the power. You, your resurrected life, is the proof to this city and to your friends and to your family. The greatest evidence of the resurrection of Jesus is a life that has been resurrected. And if you live into this, it will change everything. He then says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Why? Good works. 
You've been made for a purpose. Listen, if the only reason you were saved was to get to heaven, then you would need a body, emotions, a mind. You just need a soul. But he says, I want you to understand that God has made every part of you. And I want to resurrect every part of your life, the Lord says, because he has created you on purpose for a purpose. And one of the ways he will use you as proof of his power to fulfill these good things is with your mind. Listen to me. Some of you are going to become incredible communicators of the truth of the gospel. And you will never even stand on a platform. Some of you, God is going to use your mind and you are going to be able to reason with people much smarter than I would ever be able to talk to. And you'll be able to help them walk towards Christ to understand that it is credible to believe in Jesus. Others of you, you're going to be able to sit with people in their pain and you're going to remind them that they're not alone because you have been resurrected in your emotions. Some of you here this morning, because of the way God is resurrecting your actions, your strength, you will demonstrate the love of God before you ever speak the name of Jesus. God is going to resurrect all of you for the purpose of fulfilling these good works. Now, what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? Let me just put this up on screen. God has saved you from something, yes, but he's also saved you for something. Saved you from hell, but he saved you for something today. Here's the question. What is God preparing you for? And maybe the better question is simply this. Of those five areas, what area do you need a resurrection most right now? And I believe that it's sometimes dynamic. There are moments where I believe the Lord really needs to do a greater work with my heart and with my emotions because I get upset easily over something. Or maybe other times I just need him to help me with my thought life because I'm allowing certain thoughts to dominate that are not healthy or helpful. Other times it's the apathy of my hands that I need to be more involved in what I do with people and the way that I care for those around me. But what is it for you today? What is it for you today? And maybe for you, maybe for you, it's not some of these things. Maybe the first step for you is just to say, I, I, I don't need any one of these things. I need resurrection from toes all the way up. By the way, by the way, do you know why we baptize? There's a couple reasons. One, Jesus did it, and he said you should do it too. That's a pretty good reason, don't you think? If Jesus tells you to do something, don't you think you should do it? But you know the other reason baptism is such a beautiful, beautiful gift from God? It's because when you go down into the water, from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head, the old life goes down. And you're reminded as you come up that every part of you has been resurrected by Jesus. Because he loves every part of you. And he will use it if you'll let him. So what's your next step today, family? For some, you need to step into the waters of baptism. You need to say yes to Jesus. Personally, publicly, formally, you need to say yes. For others in here, if you're not in that category, I would say for everyone else, there's something in your life. What is it that you need to say to Jesus? Help me, God. Help me. Help me. I want resurrection here. We're going to talk about how this works over the next few weeks, but today, what is it that you need to ask the Lord for help?